0: Uh, you can tell if you look at the screen. I've done something that speakers are kind of well known for doing—that is, you get a you get a topic and a title, then you change it, and so it's a little bit of bait and switch, uh, but not really. But I'll, I'll tell you, I'm going to explain why uh, in a minute because uh, you know using the Bible or using the Bible. What, what was the original title? Using the using the Bible stories. Okay, so it's mostly still there to share the gospel. Um, the context I'm kind of thinking of in terms of this talk would be kind of a, an early context of sharing with people, like people without a whole lot of background um, or early teaching for people who um, maybe are newly converted. That's kind of the idea uh, or the context behind it. Um, it used to be that the word story was pretty much just a noun, but that's not true anymore. Um, people will frequently say something like, um, I'm going to story my way through something, or I'm, I've been, or even this is really difficult for me to say just because of where I'm from, but it, "storying," like people say, I'm story, that, that, that word is impossible for me. <laughs> it's too, it just doesn't work, but I mean, I understand the idea. It's very popular these days. Uh, Raise your hand if you've ever heard of storying or story sets or anything like that. Okay, good. Not that many of you. (laughs) So, only a small percentage of you will be disappointed. So, anyway, um, I thought about giving sort of a presentation of examples of story sets. I'll tell you what that means in a second. Um, But the problem... The problem with doing that is, is one. There's multiple sets of stories that you can put together from the Bible, and it's impossible to make up sort of one standard set for for everybody in every context. It just it doesn't work. And then to do that in an hour is next to impossible. Um, so what I want to do is get behind the idea of why it's important that we learn to share the gospel and share our faith with others, and then sort of and also teach. Christians also, um, on the basis of using stories. Now, when I say story, I mean stories from the Bible. I don't just mean like made-up stories. Um, and I'm going to use the word story a lot in relation to the Bible, uh, but I just want to make sure you understand I'm, that's not, I'm not making this sort of a once-upon-a-time sort of idea of a story. Uh, but the Bible, is, the Bible is filled with stories. True stories, but stories nonetheless. So I want to get uh, behind why it's important and the, the, and the benefits of doing it, and then what I'm going to do is give you one text from the Bible that you can use, I think, and relate any story or sets of stories from the Bible to this text. Uh, it's the text that I think, I think is kind of a thumbnail sketch of the whole Bible. It's found in, in, in Ephesians. And we'll look at a really commonly known text, actually. And, and we'll look at that, and maybe, you can, maybe you'll find that useful. Uh, but a story set is when you, you you sort of you sort of compile a set of stories from the Bible, maybe thematically. For instance, uh, maybe stories that have to do with like God and people, or how God relates to people, or story sets that have to do with warnings. Um, or I mean, a, you know, a good example of a, a or, or sometimes people will sort of group Jesus's parables together according to you know the themes of those parables, and then they'll use those stories to introduce people to the Christian faith, um, which is a great thing to do, especially especially in, in, in oral cultures, right, where you don't, you don't have sort of a literary background. And not just in oral cultures, but in cultures where you, you don't have a touchstone uh, for the Christian faith or for the, the message of the Bible. And that's increasingly true even here at home, right? In fact, it's, it's just true. Um, and so I'll talk about that in a minute. We'll, talk, we'll, we'll, we'll sort of compare this to the way, to a common way, just even say 25, 30 years ago, I think, uh, that people would sort of lead off when they're, when they're, sharing, when they're sharing their faith. Um, there is a few problems. There, there can be a few problems with conceiving of sort of storying your way through the Bible or, or sharing story sets. And one of those problems is the, is the Bible isn't all story. Everything in the Bible is not a story. And we can sort of get locked into this idea. We can sort of get locked in practically to where, well, practically in a way, our Bible is a lot smaller than the actual Bible. And so we have sort of these groups of stories, and that, that becomes, for all intents and purposes, that kind of becomes our scripture rather than the scripture itself. And then, just, this is just, this is just based on experience. It's not, I don't have numbers for this or anything. It, it can be easy to underestimate the ability of oral cultures to grasp things that are not just stories. And so we want to be careful that we don't sort of just, um, we don't just come in and assume that in uh, you know, a certain culture, just because it's an oral culture, that they can only understand stories. That they can't grasp more than stories. We don't want to sell them short or anything like that. But, no, but, but again, again, that's just, that's just something to keep in mind, right? Every method, everything that you do has, short, has, uh, has a shortfall, has shortcomings. There's no, nothing perfect. And there's weaknesses to every single thing that we do. And we, we just need to be aware of them. And the more aware of them, I think we are, the better. Um, I was, once, I was once overseas, and the guy told me he was storying his way through the book of Hebrews. I, I, I didn't even know what to say. I, I, said, I said, well, then in fact, that's what I said. I said, I don't know what to say to that. I said, because it's not a story. And he said, well, I'm storying through. I said, how are you storying through Hebrews? And then he sort of told me how he was doing, and I thought, I can, yeah, I, I, I can I understand your words. Um, and so... Uh, you know, we kind of we kind of left it at that. But I but I mean, he's a good guy. I mean, we're friends still. And uh, <laughs> but uh, but it can be it can be difficult. And I know some people who will they'll they'll they'll, they'll try to turn the epistles, the letters, say like Paul's letters, into stories by going to Acts. And so they'll go to the, they'll go to in Acts where Paul's in Ephesians, and then they'll sort of use that to tell the story of the book of Ephesians. However, Paul's experience in Ephesians is not the same as the writing of Ephesians, which came later. And so, or, or we could, I'm just, I could keep going. Uh, it, when, when, when Paul's in Corinth, his experience in Corinth that Luke records is not the same as what Paul's writing about when he writes 1 and 2 Corinthians. It's different. He's not, he doesn't visit Ephesians and Acts and also write the epistle to the Ephesians at the same moment. He writes, that, he writes it later. And so it can, it can be difficult, and there's only, I think, in, in, by and large, I think there's only so much that we can get from, say, the, the narrative, say, Paul's experience in any one of these cities. And then you go to the letter, it, it can be difficult, right? Because, I mean, things develop later than Paul addresses it in the letter. And it's, it's often the case, and I think maybe even usually the case, that you can't tell a lot of the things. Uh, from If you look at the story in Acts, like, Ephesians is a great example. There's a huge riot in Ephesians. There's no mention of that in the book of Ephesians. Uh, Paul's, writing that, Paul's writing that much later. Now, he does have this send-off in Acts 20 with the Ephesian elders, but you know, the, the, the letter to the Ephesians is not just written to the elders. So anyway, all those are just kind of caveats of how I think story is great. I'm totally on board with it. I do it all the time, but again, we just need to understand that it does have limitations. It, it's not the end-all. It's not the only way. And I think as long as we're, as long as we're um, familiar with that, I think we're fine. It wasn't that long ago, some of you might have heard of this, there's a, there's a way of sharing that was, used to be like the most popular way any evangelical ever shared their faith. That's probably an overstatement. But just pretend that that's true. Uh, and it's called, the, it, have you ever heard of the four spiritual laws? Anybody? Okay, some, but you know, most of you haven't. And the ones of you have, who who have heard of it, you might be surprised to see that not many hands went up. Yeah, because it's older. It's like 20, 30 years. Yeah, yeah. It's it's old. It's old. It's like 30 years <laughs> old, right? I mean, it's ancient, right? <laughs> Thanks for that. Okay. Anyway. Um, yeah. The, <laughs> the four spiritual laws. Now, and this is and this is how you would introduce people. And, and this first, you may have heard this first line because people use it as a joke all the time. Uh, somebody was going to a meeting with a buddy of mine named Charlie yesterday. And he said, I've got to go see Charlie. And another guy piped up and said, Charlie loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Uh, because it was a planning meeting. So, but anyway, but that's taken from the four spiritual laws. And the idea is this. is that You, you run into somebody, you meet somebody, whatever the case, in whatever context, and you, and you basically share these four truths with them. And what, The first one is God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. The second one is, You know, And you you can tell these in your own sort of words. Humanity, all people are tainted by sin and are therefore separated from God. And as a result, we can't know God's wonderful plan for our lives. We can't know it, even though he has one. Number three, Jesus Christ is God's only provision for our sin. Through Jesus Christ, we can have our sins forgiven and restore a right relationship with God. Four, we must place our faith in Jesus as Savior in order to receive the gift of salvation and know God's wonderful plan for our lives. So, it's not as though you just walk up, you walk up and sort of script this with somebody, like just read it from a script and then say, what do you think? Do you want to make a decision or not? That's not really how it worked. Um, but it was a way to kind of get your foot in the door. Now, what's the underlying assumption of these laws? You have to make a certain assumption if you use this, and, or especially these days, that I think you just can't really make anymore. Yeah, yeah. That they even know what you mean by God, or plan, or sin, or Jesus, or any of these things. Now, I'm not saying that that wasn't always true, but this is a this is a, this is a particularly contextual way of sharing the gospel. That at one, it's probably still effective in some places. I think that by and large, I don't want to step on any toes here, um, but by and large, I think you know it's it's probably seen its day. Generally, and that's not that's just that happens to everything in the history of the planet. So it's not I don't think it's that bad of a thing to say, Um, even with my neighbors uh, in in my own neighborhood. And, you know, basically in my neighborhood, everybody looks kind of like me. Um, And even in my own neighborhood, I can't assume all these sorts of things. Not really. And so we, we, you know, we we have to think um, we have to think about it in different ways. Um, so we can more or less count on people we meet um, to share a basic worldview and how the world works. If you use those four spiritual laws or things like that, or if you just assume things, when you use the word God or use the word Jesus, you kind of have to assume something that the person you're talking to shares your same worldview or the, you know what you think is right and wrong or how we sh- what we could or should expect out of life and where it's going. So that raises a question. How can we share the gospel in such an increasingly diverse world, in a world where cross-cultural encounters and relationships take place right outside our door? You don't have to travel far any, anymore to have a cross-cultural encounter. You basically just have to want to do it, and you can have it virtually anywhere in the United States, uh, even before you travel overseas. And the reason I bring that up is because it's unlikely that any of us are going to be overseas tomorrow, uh, or maybe even within the next week, unless you're traveling back home. Right? That's a, there's always an exception. And so, I mean, how can, how can we share the gospel then in a world where you can't assume a lot of things like with the four spiritual laws or any or any number of other things? Well, I think, first of all, before we, uh, it, can, it, you, it can seem really daunting. Like, well, we can't. It's almost impossible. Well, there's four things, and by four, I mean three. I'm counting in Hebrew where four means three. Sorry, that's a super seminary joke. That's not even funny for you at all, right? It, it really isn't. But like it, it, the joke at seminary is anytime you make a mistake of numbers or letters, you just say, oh, wait, I'm thinking in Hebrew. It, See, it's, it's still not funny even when I explain it. I'm, I'm, I'm just try, I'm trying to dig my way out of it. It's worse with every. So I'm just going to forget it. Erase that part of your memory. I need like one of those men in black button things to get rid of that. So, number one, here's, how, here's what you do. Because it, it can be really daunting and intimidating to share the gospel with people who have never heard it and, and maybe think you're crazy for believing anything particular anyway. So, here's three things to remember. This is kind of to set the, set the stage. Number one, there's, there's nothing new under the sun. Um, Paul, in the first century, was not exactly going from place to place where people thought things like the resurrection was common. Right. It's easy to think back like in the first century, people believe anything, you say. Right. Because we have this way of we have this way of, of thinking about people in the past is you know, just not as smart as we are. And they're like gullible. They'll believe anything. What's well, not true? It's not true. In the cities that Paul visited, it was when he talked about the resurrection that people thought he was the craziest because it's not common. It's not as though in the first century people thought that people were resurrected from the dead left and right. Like, oh yeah, that happened to my grandfather. No, it's not true. It's not true. They, they were as astonished by it as we are. And so you have to understand, as as much, as much as a big deal as we make out of how different and changing our world is, and it is, it, there's still really nothing new. It hasn't changed to the point that it's, it, 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 it hasn't changed to the point that makes it completely unrecognizable from the world in any other time. There's still there's still things that are always going to be true in any in any in any, any situation. Um, number two, we don't happily have to rely on ourselves for being in exactly the right place at the right time with the exact right words. In other words, you don't have to be perfect because God is the one who is God is God is the one who is controlling all things. God is the one who is overseeing all things. God is the one who knows the end from the beginning, and including your end from your beginning. Right. So God sees everything at once, and we don't have that kind of insight. We don't have that kind of knowledge or vision, and we don't. Quite frankly, frankly, we don't have to. And that takes the pressure off of you. That takes the pressure off of you, of, of, of all of us, from feeling like everything is down to me at this moment. And if I don't say the exact right thing, this whole thing's going to be blown. Right? Can you imagine if the only time we were ever effective is when we did things perfectly? Right? So you can, that pressure, you can just take that pressure off of yourself. You don't have to be the smartest person. You don't have to know the most. You don't have to do anything. You don't even have to, your, you know, your words don't even have to be perfect. They, they don't. And then three, remember this. The gospel is, in fact, the power of God for salvation for all people. It is that the gospel itself is the power of God for salvation. It's exactly what Paul says in Romans. So just the sharing of the gospel, just the straight up gospel, Even in situations where people don't have a lot of context for it. Even in situations where people don't have a lot of background for it. It is the power of God through the Spirit that that uses the gospel to open people's hearts. Even if they have zero background, it is not too much for God to do. Right? If God can raise the dead, God can open the heart of the most hard-hearted and most distant person from the gospel you can ever meet. And you can be absolutely confident of that. Can you imagine? I mean, just think about what the first Christians thought about Paul. Right? Paul came to faith. If you, if we had been among the first Christians, now none of us in here probably believe that anybody's one hundred percent impossible to be saved. Right? But there are some people who are maybe more possible than others. Right? <laughs> Now, there was probably nobody on the planet that the early Christians thought was further away I and mean, on the verge of being impossible to be saved than, the, than Saul of Tarsus, who was killing them and who was persecuting them and who was raging against them all the time, officially. He hated them. He hated them. He was their greatest. He was the, Saul of Tarsus was the embodiment of all the enemies of the church in one person. And he becomes the greatest missionary and theologian of the church of all time. And so don't, don't forget, at the end of the day, you're not relying on yourself. And the more you think you're relying on yourself, the worse off it's going to be. And this is something we have to remind ourselves of that every single day. Because all kinds of our fears and all kinds of our, you know, our, our worries and anxieties have to do with we're putting too much on ourselves. And remembering, God is the one who bears it, not us. And he just and he uses us and he and he employs us in his work and so that, that should encourage us and give you and, and help you to be bold and everything else. All right. So the thing about the thing that makes stories great is everyone has a story. There's a quote from a guy called Richard Bachum from a little a great little book called The Bible and Mission. It's 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 really small and it's it's ex, it's an excellent little book. We all instinctively understand the world by telling stories about it. If the Bible offers a meta-narrative, that's just a big story. Meta-narrative is just a fancy way that people talk about a big story, the story that sort of contains all the stories. Then we should be able to place our own stories within that grand narrative and find our own perception and experience the world transformed by that connection. All, all Richard Baham is saying is this: is we have to be kind of hardwired to the story of the Bible and understand that that's part of our story. And that can be difficult to do because it's easy to read the Bible and think of it. it's written about people who lived a long time ago in a totally different context. But we have to remember when we're reading it, it's not just material for evangelism. It's not just material for knowing more things. It is first and foremost the book that tells us who we are and who not just who we are, right, who everyone is. Right? I mean, that's one of the things people really dislike about it and dislike about our message. But that's what the Bible, that's at least, at the very least, you can tell anybody, well, that's, what the, that's the claim the Bible makes. The Bible claims to tell the story of all stories, that it contains all the stories. And, and, and you're part of it. It's not just your handbook, right? It's not just sort of a guide for living. It's not the user guide for the Christian life. It is actually something that defines us and shows us who we are. And from it, we can learn more of who we are and, more importantly, who God is. So when you're talking about stories and sharing stories, the word worldview comes up quite a bit. And I've used it, too. So let's just try to simply think about what is a worldview. Well, here's another quote. I hate, I can, I'm going to make this uh, PowerPoint available on the GMHC site so you don't have to try to scratch everything. And by make it available, I mean eventually I'll get around to it. Uh, but I will do it because because pre- it took me a long time last year and I was reprimanded a little. Not really reprimanded. I was encouraged. <laughs> Worldviews are the basic stuff of human existence. The lens through which the world is seen. The blueprint for how one should live in it. And that's really important because worldview is not just what do I think about the world. Worldview is tied in and can't be disassociated from how do we live in the world. Right? So it's not just thinking about the world, it's living in it. And above all, the sense of identity and place which enables human beings to be what they are. To ignore worldviews, world either our own or those of the culture we are studying, would result in extraordinary shallowness. So it's really important when you're sharing the story of the Bible with, the, uh, with other people that you, as much as you can, when it's possible, you need to understand how they look at the world. And not just how, because if you don't, if you don't, you'll project the way you look at the world onto them and makes and, and possibly make some bad assumptions. Which means, which means what we need to be start, what we need to be doing is as much as we can is pursuing actual and real relationships with people. Right. Even with people who make us really uncomfortable and maybe who don't like us a lot, you know, at sort of first blush. So here's the parts of worldviews. I'm going to go kind of fast through this when so we get to the. Ephesians part. Worldviews do this. They provide stories through which human beings view reality. Narrative, or story, is the most characteristic expression of worldview going deeper than the isolated observation or fragmented remark. In other words, people know more about you when you tell them the story, like your story, like what, the story of your life. They know more about you from that than statements you might make about what you do and who you are and where you've been and where you live. Right? I mean, I, if we sat down and talked, we would learn more about each other um, from just listening to our stories. I would learn it like, like what's important to you. You would learn about what's important to me. Uh, from the, and this is what I just said. From these stories, you can discover basic principles and uh, how to answer basic questions that determine existence, etc. Uh, and then stories and answers provide the questions and are expressed in cultural symbols. Now, what's a cultural symbol? Like a cross or a flag, an eye on the wall of a house in South Asia, The evil eye. Starbucks logo, that's a cultural icon. An apple, a white apple with a bite out of it, that's a cultural icon. All these things sort of are part of who we are, and they say something to us. And then finally, worldview includes a praxis. Praxis is just another sort of academic-y, fancy word. just means what what you're doing, basically. A way of being in the world. The way we act according to what we think is right, wrong, or indifferent. Because you can tell what people think's right or wrong or unimportant by the way they act, right? But again, this this requires that we get to know people if we're really going. And that's why I didn't want to come in and say, "Hey, let me share with you four different sets of Bible stories," because you, in order to really employ Bible stories, you have to know who you're employing them with, who you're using them with, and that's going to change. That's not going to change the core story, by the way. But it is entirely possible to contextualize your telling of the story without compromising that story itself. But the, the best way to do that, to keep from compromising it, is to understand as much as you can who you're talking to. Here's four, now, I've got a bunch of lists. This is unusual for me. Four reasons. Here's why we should understand worldview. Because we want to know how to tell Christ's story to the person in a way that will make sense to him or her. I mean, if they're a Christian or atheist, agnostic, Buddhist, Muslim, it's the same message we share with all of them, but we want – they're going to have particular ways of looking at the world. And we need to be tuned in with those so that when we share the story, we don't share it in just sort of a generic way, but in a particular way. And it's necessary to know, uh, know a target people's worldview in order to identify issues or barriers that are left undressed, Right? Uh, if we don't do that, I mean, if we say, we have to kind of ask what, what's the, what are, what are the, what are the conflicts? What are the, what are the questions? What are the issues in this person's worldview? And then we want to also avoid syncretism. That's just, another, there's too many fancy words in this thing. That just means when you blend a whole bunch of stuff together. Right? Just look at it that way. And so, again, I'll, I'll make these, it's hard to, you can't remember lists. I'll just make it quick. But if you don't know a person's worldview, We'll tell the story only from our own perspective. And that's the, that, that's the big drawback of not knowing as much as we can who we're talking to and who we're sharing with is we don't we'll, we'll just and they might not share our perspective at all. And your perspective is going to cause you to make lots of assumptions, and we just increasingly, this is increasingly true, we can't presume or make assumptions about the people we're talking to. And the more, by the way, the more you get to know them personally and the more you try to get invested in their life in some kind of way where they know you're genuine and they know you actually care about them and you're not just sharing some info with them, the more they're going to trust you and be interested in what you have to say. But what that means is is it takes time. Stories also, though, and this is part of sharing the gospel, part of sharing the gospel is not just it is sharing the good news, but part of that good news is challenging the way people look at the world. So that they'll change the way they look at the world, right? That's what that's what the, that's what the Bible does. They they change worldviews, and and Jesus's parables are the best example in the Bible for this, because the parables come and they 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 confront the way we look at the world. Think about the parable of the workers in the vineyard, and that's the parable where the first guys started working, they got a day's wage, like they started like before dawn. Then the last guys come in the last hour and they get the same amount of money. Now. That is not some kind of like guide to new covenant business practices. That's not like Jesus CEO or anything like that. What that's doing is it's challenging our view of fairness and saying your view of fairness is not God's view of fairness. When we think about fairness, like because we think in terms of getting paid for hours worked and that makes sense in the marketplace, right? It does. But what Jesus is saying is this. Grace can't be counted up that way. Grace can't be monetized that way. And so, but that's an example, right? That parable continues to challenge worldviews. Uh, but you know, so what's real? What's true? What's good or best? And how do I act? We want to have those things in mind when we're when we're sharing the gospel with people. Uh, there's a really great story of a, a missionary named Leslie Newbegin, and you may have heard of him. He was a famous missionary and missionary scholar, actually. Uh, and he was and he lived in India for several years. And this is more or less a quote. This is my favorite quote. I've kind of paraphrased it more over the years, but this is generally what happened. Um, he he met a he met a, a Christian. Uh, sorry, 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 uh, a Hindu uh, teacher, and uh, they, they they knew each other. They were talking, and this, this this guy had gone off and he read the whole Bible, and he comes back and he's saying to him, he says, you, "I don't get it. You Christians, I don't understand. You have a book that tells the story of everything." But you only share it as a book of do's and don'ts, or like other religious books. We've got a lot of religious books. Why don't you simply tell people the story that's in the Bible, right? And so, you know, I mean, that's just that that quote sticks with me. This quote sticks with me. Okay, here's somebody with no Bible background. He actually reads the Bible. I mean, not that we can count on people doing that. I understand. And he reads it and comes back and says, "I don't understand how you're presenting your own message, having read your book." And we have to remember, as, a, as, 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 much as, as much opposition as you may face, as much opposition as you may hear, as much hatred you might experience in terms of the gospel, whether people are aware of it or not, the, gospel, the Bible is telling their story. It is telling them who they are. Because all people are made in the image of God. There is one God and one Savior, Jesus Christ right that ma- that makes us sort of sometimes uncomfortable to say that people will say you're arrogant for saying that but what else are we going to say if we say anything else we're no longer sharing the christian message right now there's different ways of sharing that right you don't have to hit somebody over the head with a hammer or like a big maul or something but at the end of the day we have to be firm on that we have to believe that. We have to believe that that is really true, regardless of how much flack we're going to get for believing it. But we can't, we can't sort of flim or be wishy-washy on that. And, and this is a, a great scholar, N.T. Wright, says this. It is ironic that many people in the modern world have regarded Christianity as a private worldview, as a set of private stories, but in principle, the whole point of Christianity is that it offers a story which is the story of the whole world. I mean, that's the that's the point of the Bible is that it's everybody's story. And that's and that's the message that we have to share with people. All right. So the goal the our goal, it's a big goal is learn to tell the story to anyone in any culture with whatever background, whatever beliefs, whatever values, whatever practices and show them that the Bible story is their story. Step one is for us to get hardwired into how it's our story and that you're part of it and to see yourself in that in that story. And it can be comprehended and believed in any context without compromising that story. There is no context that is beyond the scripture. None. Because it's the same God speaking to people. Uh, And that doesn't mean, by the way, and you will get accused of this, the absolute destruction of culture, race, or ethnicity. When Paul says no Jew or Greek, he doesn't mean that people cease to be ethnically Jews or ethnically Gentiles. What he means is there's no distinction in terms of who God is. Right when, when he says there's no uh, slave or free or man or woman or Jew or Gentile, he's not saying that he's not he's not talking about the breakdown immediately. As sort of sort, he's certainly not talking about the breakdown of sort of the difference between men and women or 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 or, or Gentiles and, and Jews ethnically. What he's saying is it doesn't matter who you are. Everybody has free open access to God. He's the God of everybody. That's what it means. You know, it's not like you no longer it's not like you stop becoming what you are or who you are ethnically or culturally. Right. In terms of, you know, in terms of your birth and lots and lots of other things. (coughs) All right. So here you go. Part two. Doing okay on time. Here's the story. God created the world and created human beings who rebelled against him, attempting to become the one thing they could never be. That is, creators rather than creatures. Then he set about carrying out his eternal plan to redeem them through his son, Jesus Christ, and through him to create people who would believe, obey and worship the only true God and make his good news of life in Christ known to a world in rebellion and finally to establish fully his kingdom in a new heaven and new earth with Christ the King reigning forever. That's my summary of the Bible. So if somebody says, hey, when was the last time you read the Bible? You say, this morning. <laughs> Not really, but I mean, kind of. right? It's, the, it's, the, it's an overview. Though I do want to say this in the midst of sort of making a joke about it. We do really want to be super careful when we are putting together the way we we present the story of the Bible, that we don't fool ourselves into thinking that our reconstruction of the Bible story is the Bible. That happens a lot. I see this all the time. I see this on the field. I see this here at home. Is where we'll, we'll, We'll reconstruct the story, and that practically becomes what we think the Bible is. But there's far more in the Bible than anything that we can put in a reconstruction of our story. The Bible speaks to way more issues than anything that we're going to put into a a sort of a reconstruction, recreation of that message. We need to do that, but we have to be, we just don't want to all of a sudden swap that out for the Bible. And all of a sudden we have a new Bible that's not actually the Bible, right? But that's easily remedied by just being mindful of it. That's it. All you're going to do is be mindful of it and that will take care of itself. Now, here's Paul's thumbnail sketch of the Bible. I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. Everybody's really familiar with it. I'm going to break it down here in a second. Um, everybody, oh, a lot of people, not everybody, but lots and lots of the Christians are super familiar with uh, Ephesians 2, 8. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves the gift of God. However, that's not really the, that's, that's not the main idea in this text. And the reason it, I can tell that is because it starts with the word because, like the word for. It's just like this. Think about this. You can't just walk in a room and say, because my house is on fire, and run out the door. Or, because I love mangoes, and then run. I mean, you can do that. Nobody's going to appreciate it, and you won't have made any sense, and everybody will have all kinds of questions about your stability. But <laughs> typically, you don't, you, don't just, you don't just jump in and say, because it's raining. <laughs> what? Because what? Right? Right? And so, it's, this is this is a simple little thing. The main idea here in, in Ephesians 2, 1-10, uh, to 10, and this fits the story of the Bible, it fits the whole big story of the Bible, is found in that verse right above it. So then in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Because in the Bible, God is all about, all about writing the world and fulfilling his plan in Jesus, his eternal plan in Jesus, for his own glory. So... You can take Ephesians 2, 1 to 10, and you can break it down, and whatever set of stories you have to use, you can pretty much relate it to this, because it's, it's kind of the whole story of the Bible. Every set, every set of Bible stories can fit under this greater story. Everyone. Uh, there's some connection here with everyone you will ever talk to. Now, again, it's not, it's not comprehensive. I'm not saying that all you need is Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. But there is nobody on this planet that you will ever encounter that there's not something in these 10 verses that doesn't make some connection with them. I promise you, 100%. Let's make it athletic, 110%. I promise, right? (laughs) Ephesians 2 can serve as your basic framework for sharing the the story of the Bible. Um, And it's the example of how the Bible is not only story, right? Ephesians 2, 1 to 10 is not a story. It's, It's a bunch of statements, um, but remember, the trick about stories is they, are only, they, only, they only mean so much in, far, in, in terms of how you interpret it and explain them. Right? Because you, you, you don't want to just sort of tell a parable of Jesus and leave it at that. Because the gospel writers don't do that. If you, just sort of, if you just sort of come in, plop down a parable from Jesus, and then say, so what do you think? You haven't done what the gospel writers do. And that is, the gospel writers will say, Jesus told this parable to people who loved money. And then he'll tell the parable. Right. So we have to give a context. In other words, in other words, stories have to be interpreted and explained because we don't want to just tell stories and just throw it out there and say, you know, what do you want to do with this? Or what do you think? Do you agree with this? If so, if so, accept Jesus as your savior and whatever that might mean to them. And it just means to them whatever is crossing their mind. And so stories have to be interpreted. And I think you, you see here. So I'm using Ephesians 2, 1 to 10, in spite of everything I said at the, at the end, at the beginning, which is not a story, but you can use it to share all stories. Because Ephesians 2, 1-10 breaks down like this. First of all, Ephesians 2, 1-10 tells everybody, and of course Paul's speaking to Christians, right? So it starts off with who we were. You were dead in your trans- transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and the ruler the kingdom of the air, the spirit who does not work. And those who are disobedient... All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. From that, from those three verses, there's all kinds of connections through the Bible that you can make. There's a connection with Adam uh, in Genesis, right? Dead in your transgressions and sins, and everybody being dead in their transgressions and sins. Um, any all texts or stories that talk about or that, that show examples of sinful behavior. Um, or a sinful condition, or you'll have this connection to make with people. There's all sorts of people who for them, the spiritual world is a real reality every day. Every day, they're conscious of it. Now, a lot of us here in America are not, but that doesn't mean much for a lot of people in the rest of the world. But here, Paul is talking about, he's talking about, right, he's talking about the rule and the, you know, the, it's, it's under God's rule, but he's talking about the relative rule of spiritual powers. And so here's a connection in Ephesians 2 that you can make with other people in the midst of sharing your... That might even be your entry point. That might even be your entry point if you, you know, if you sort of know what makes people tick. Then secondly, you have this idea of what God did. And you find this in verses 4 to 6. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Jesus Christ. Now here's different connections that can be made with that. Texts and stories that talk about God's love. Or grace and mercy, like the workers in the vineyard. I brought that up earlier. That's why I brought it up. Uh, texts that talk about the person and work of Christ. You can fill it in with stories of the cross from the Gospels. Uh, you can support this with texts from the Old Testament on the temple or the priests or the sacrifices. Psalm 2, Psalm 110, the book of Hebrews. You, there's all kinds of connections you can make here to share the larger story of the Bible by, st- by, by sort of using this as your jumping off point. Uh, or a discussion of evil in the world and what is goodness, right? That's a big deal. That's a big deal. And that's something that, that, that's something that people will talk about, uh, even if it's even if they're talking about you to ridicule what you think of it. Uh, but you know what is what is evil? What what is it? And and what's it what what does it mean to be? What does it mean to say that God is good? What is that? What is what is God's goodness? How do we talk about God's goodness in the light of so much wickedness and tragedy in the world? By the way, this is, I'm just going to throw this in. The next time somebody confronts you and says, how can you believe in a good God in a world so filled with evil? Just look at them and say, how do you deal with all the evil in the world? You don't have to do it in a confrontational way. But, you know, too often we're sharing the gospel, we let everybody set the ground rules. And it's just, it's wrong. We don't have, and that's what intimidates us. But you know what, I, I, I think, you know what, you know what I do? You know, the problem of evil is a huge problem. I'm not going to try to solve it right now because I only have 20 minutes, and it would take 25. And so, I'm not going to try to solve that problem. But you know, one of the things I've sort of taken to do is I bring it up myself right off the bat. I don't wait for somebody to talk to me about the goodness of God in a bad world. I've tried to bring it up myself in one way or another and try to figure out, so what, So I mean, how do you deal, you know, sort of put the question to them. How do you deal with wickedness in the world? How do you deal with with trafficking? How do you deal with human slavery? I mean, how do you make sense of these things? Right? I mean, they can fire away at us for believing a good God in the face of it, but you know, that's a, but that's a way in. That That's just one of, them, one of many. And then verse 7, why God acted. I've already read verse 7. I won't read it again, but uh, here are connections you can make in the rest of the Bible. The greatness and goodness of God. Psalm 19 or the Exodus. And then, <laughs> that's not all that helpful. The whole New Testament. Right? That might be a little big. Um... <laughs> Here you can talk about, this, you can hear, and from this you can talk about purpose in the world. Like, is the world going anywhere or nowhere? Because one of the things that makes, this, makes the Christian faith distinct is we believe the world has an ultimate, exact, final end towards which it's going. That it's, there's purpose. And if we don't believe there's purpose in the world, we've failed to see the Bible message. Because the Bible's all about things are happening towards an end set goal that God has set and God is fulfilling. Where's it all going? Creation, Adam, Christ, all these kind of things. and Pictures of the, fu- pictures of the future. Or texts that show God's love. In fact, and, and, and this is important. Texts that show God's love in contrast to our unloveliness. Right? That's what Ephesians 2 is all about. We were dead, but nevertheless, even though we were dead in our trespasses and sins, even though we were God's enemies, He loved us. We didn't bring anything to the table. You know what we bring to the table? All of our sin and badness. That's what that's what you bring to the table in your relationship with God. Right? That's your contribution. Your contribution is to come to God with your hands open and say, I'm a sinner. And God's contribution is to say, I save sinners through Jesus. Right? And you can and so and that's a huge message of the Bible. It's, it's all about grace and faith. And you can share you can share that through stories. Uh, you know, that you can go back and look at stories of God's goodness in, 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 spite of the, in spite of the way that people are acting towards him. His mercy and goodness towards sinners. And you don't have to use buzzwords if you're uncomfortable. I mean, if you, it's probably, you maybe don't want to just jump in and use the word sinner right off the bat. Because you don't want to make an assumption about what people hear when they hear that. But you can, you can talk about, you know, look at, what, look at the stories in the Bible, what God does even when people don't like him. Even when people are hateful towards him. Even when people are disobeying him. Look what he does anyway. And the Bible is filled with those stories. And that's also that also is that all these things can also be a gateway to you sharing your own personal testimony, by the way. Which don't ever forget to do, because you a personal testimony in the midst of sharing the gospel story. Because what you want to show is what this has done for me and why it's important to you. Here's how God acted. I guess there's five parts. For by grace you've been saved through faith, not by works. So here you have a connection to the rest of the Bible and text that displays salvation by faith, not by works, not by doing good things. Right? Most of the virtually most people in the world you encounter in cross cultural situations are going to believe that they are ultimately made good or whatever by on the basis of what they do. Almost everybody. Every major religion that you're going to run into, is going to believe at its core that it's what they do that makes them right within whatever kind of way, even if, it's, even if there's no sort of supreme being in view or whatever. It is going to be based on what they do personally. That is not our message. Or hope in the midst of these things, like how this gives us hope. And then you can share a great story from the gospel, like the healing of Jairus' daughter. Who he, he comes to Jesus and Jesus heals her in the midst of death. Or even a big story from this, what is the Christian faith? Because as soon as you start talking about grace and faith, you are immediately have a, an inroad to talking about exactly what the Christian faith is and what makes it distinct. And not only that, but the Bible is also concerned with what we are and what we do now as Christians. Verse 10. For we're God's handiwork creating Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Again, purpose and plan in the world. Or work. Or wisdom literature in the Bible. Now here's, wisdom literature in the Bible is often overlooked. Every culture that you will ever go into has their own wisdom tradition. Every single one. Even if it's not literary. Because what is wisdom literature all about? What's the world like and how do I live in it? And how do I have a good life? How do I live the best way I can? That's what wisdom literature is all about. That's what Proverbs is all about. And every culture has a way of thinking about that. There's virtually nobody in the world who's not concerned about how do, how, how, how should I, what's the best way for me to live today according to you know, X, Y, and Z, whatever condition I'm in. Every single culture. And we have tons of wisdom literature in the Bible. But it's, it's rarely used. I, actually, I, learned this from a, I learned this from a missionary in Southeast Asia. Uh, who had, had started just talking, just sharing sort of the wisdom in the Bible, like, like the book of Proverbs, for instance, uh, with other people. And he's like, you know, what I've discovered is people, this is important to people, like that what the future of their children going to be, or how they're, you know, they're going to live best. These are important core human questions, and we have a whole tradition in the Bible that addresses that. and it also talks about work. And then you, from this, you have a text that talks about God's sovereignty from beginning to end. And, it, and we need to be careful, right? Because in our, in, our, in our whole message of how we're saved by grace through faith, what we want to also emphasize is when we receive this new life, we become new people who now are doing what God has always planned for us to do. And that is to love him and love others. We're transformed. And our work is transformed. And everything that we put our hand to do is transformed. Your daily jobs, your daily life is transformed by this. That's the end of the slides. It was kind of anticlimactic. I really, really thought there was like a <clears throat> at the end, but apparently I forgot to put it in there. So, anyway, <laughs> let's go back to that one. That was a good end. So let me just let me, let me let me just make a make a few comments. Yeah, I understand. Not every situation you're in, you're going to have the time it takes to break down everything. You, you, you won't. Um. You know, and that, that, again, that goes back to the idea that, look, at the end of the day, it's not even how great I am at retelling the story or putting the right stories together. At the end of the day, it's, it really comes down to this, whether we're trusting in God to do what he says he's going to do. There's nothing more important than that. You can be the most cleverest storying person on the planet. But at the, at, the end of the day, at the end of the day, if we're not fundamentally trusting that, you know what, God uses people like me. To share his story. That's how God gets things done in the world. Through his people. Right? That's how we got to be. That's why we're here in whatever year this is. 2015 at GMHC. Is because Jesus said to a group of guys, You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. And we're living proof that people went about carrying out that message. Right? So no matter how much the world has changed, it hasn't changed all that much. It is still the gospel of God for salvation for all people. And it's, it's our message. And so, the, and the, more we can be, the more we can be aware of who we're sharing with. And, and the, other thing about getting to, the other thing about building this kind of thing and getting to know worldviews is that it, it just will make you care about people more. The more you get to know them, the more you'll have sympathy and empathy for them. And whatever the difference between those two words is. Uh, but the the more you'll care about them as people, and not just as objects, like to share with or whatever, and that's important. That's important, and they'll have a sense of that. And I think that's one of the great things about, and that's the thing about these telling these stories is it, it basically requires something of a relationship. You know, if you, if you go very far with it, I have a little bit of time. I have to go introduce. I want to really encourage. You. I know this is the last thing. I want to really encourage you to go to the last plenary session with David Sills, uh, who. Is also a good friend of mine. i got to go introduce him, so I have to sort of book out of here at 20 after. But we've got some time left for questions, if you have any. Yes? Yeah, in fact, on the slides, let me see. The question is, is there good resources? There are. Uh, yeah, there's one. Uh, this, this, it's a book. You'd have to sort of Google it. I don't know. Not sort of Google it. Actually Google it. Um, <laughs> Evans, Love, Joy, Terry, and Slack. Well, It's called Tell the Story. That kind of, that'll kind of get your foot in the door. And if you go, if you, if you go, um, if you put, uh, if you Google, I just did this yesterday, uh, storying the Bible, you will get, one of the top things will be an IMB document that's about 130 pages as long. as PDF is free. Uh, that sort of goes through how to group, like groups of stories and how to present them, and, and also gives sort of like some case type studies. And so it's all totally free. Just put story in the Bible and look for this IMB, just IMB, International Mission Board. That's the way I saw another hand somewhere, I thought. Yes? Um, how do you, if, if you were to, you're, you have five minutes of patient, right? And they're in, in this very um they're in this instant of vulnerability. Mm-hmm. You see that their life kind of flash before their eyes. And yeah. You see how how um, fragile their their health and their life is. How do you get to know someone's? How do you get to know someone's story? Develop a relationship. Yeah. Challenge their worldview. And you can't. You can't. Right? You just you can't. I mean that's it's it's almost like a thief on the cross sort of moment. Right, so there's there's always going to be these times where we don't where we don't have time. You can't do this because this presupposes some sort of cross cultural connection. In that case, I think in that case, you know, what you're leaning on, I think, is just is the power of the gospel and be able to speak a word of comforting truth to them through the gospel. But no, I mean, that's not you know, that's not sort of the time to kind of do all. You can't do any of these things. You just don't have the time. But you know, you could strike at something like hope. Or something like that, right? I mean, every situation could be a little bit different. But I mean, but this—I mean—the thing I'm presenting today, though, is not sort of a deathbed type of engagement. Um, it's really the ideas over the long haul. But at that point, though, at that point, it's the same thing. Your hope is no different. You're, you have no less hope, and you have no less hope in say two or three sentences that you share with somebody in that situation, than somebody in here does if they have 12 months sharing the gospel over time. It's the same exact, exact power that has to save somebody. And it's not, it's not reliant upon 12 months or 6 minutes. Or your ability to do it. So. Or, yeah, or, or yeah, or your ability to do it. And so that's the... I mean, I understand that's a super tough... And I'm not trying to make light of it. That's an incredibly tough situation. And it's a situation that many of you are going to be in that I, you know, I just typically am not in. But that's really... That is the good news. Is having, having 8 months ahead of time... Having 8 months ahead of time doesn't make the Spirit of God any more or less powerful to break into their heart. Okay? Anything else? Gotcha. Okay, well, I want to encourage you to go to, the, to hear David. It's a great ending to the conference. Welcome uh, to GMHC if this is your first time and I hope to see you again next year.